Thanks for joining us today at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Behold the Father's heart, the mystery he lavishes on us. As deep cries out to deep, oh, how desperately he wants us. The things of earth stand next to him like a candle to the sun unfailing father what compares to his great love behold his holy son the lion and the lamb given to us. The word became a man that my soul should know it's saved. Forsaken for the sake of all mankind, salvation is in his blood. Jesus Messiah, the righteous died for love, but it wasn't over, for he is the risen one, and sings my soul, and sings This broken heart 
My name is Pedro. If I haven't ever had a chance to meet you, um, I get to serve here as the student pastor. Um, and fittingly, they asked me um, to start the series on your mark, considering that I do a lot of races, right? Uh, no, um, I have never uh, raced. I don't run. I don't jog. I don't walk fast. Um, I kind of move slow. Um, so, but they tell me at least that on your mark is, is what they say at the beginning of a race. Um, like I said, I wouldn't know that, but that's what they say at least, that when they get ready, they say on your mark, if you can kind of picture that, um, you have all your sprinters lined up, um, they've trained for months and days leading up to the race, they're in their position, they're ready, the gun, the gun gets fired, and there they go, and they run, and they start the race, and they run through the finish line, um, and it starts with on your mark, um, and getting them ready to go. Um, we are starting a new series um, throughout the summer um, where we're going to walk through the gospel of Mark. Um, and we're going to walk through that and, and, and kind of maybe we, we can kind of trek a little bit and find out where we are on our spiritual race. Um, we talked last week a little bit about how a race is an is a illustration for life, and, but also for our spiritual journey. Um, Paul uses that in the New Testament, and we kind of touched and talked about that a little bit last week. Um, and I really think this is when we look at our spiritual journey um, through the lens of, of a race, um, we probably can kind of find our spot on four different parts of that. Um, number one is, is we're not even part of the race. Um, that we, we, we haven't accepted Jesus. We don't necessarily believe in Jesus. Um, and so therefore, like when we look at uh, the race illustration, um, we haven't started the race. Um, that we have, we're not there. And maybe some of you kind of be like, hey, that's where I'm at. And, and I want to talk to you for a second. I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for being here. Um, know that you are welcomed and you are valued and that we love that you are here. Um, even though that, hey, maybe, maybe you're not there yet. We are so glad that you're here, but maybe that's where you identify with. Um, maybe some of you identify with the fact that maybe we have confused the starting line with the actual finish line. Um, that we've accepted Jesus. We've said, man, yeah, I want to accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. And that's kind of been it. That we've just kind of quit there and, and, and we've gotten confused where, hey, maybe accepting Jesus was the finish line and say, hey, now I'm done. And in reality, accepting Jesus is, is the starting point of the race. So maybe that's where you're at, where you've confused a little bit the starting point and the end point of the race. Uh, maybe some of us have, have started the race, we've accepted Jesus, and, and we did a good job running for a little bit, but for whatever reason, we got tired, we, we just didn't want to race anymore, and we've just kind of stopped. Um, we're not going towards the finish line, we're, we're maybe just in an, in an area of contentment, that, that we're just, we are where we are, um, and that's where we're at, and we're not 
taken any steps forward in our spiritual journey. Um, and some of us maybe identify with the fourth that, that we are running the race and that we are going and we're, we're, we see the prize at the end and we see the finish line and we are full steam ahead towards that finish line. My guess is this, is we all can relate to probably those four parts, uh, maybe to different points in our lives, um, or maybe we're a combination of those. But somewhere on kind of that scale of an illustration, we are probably somewhere on those four points. Um, and my, my prayer, my hope, and I, and I believe this is the church prayer and hope, is that throughout the On Your Mark series, um, we can get to the point where we're all going for the finish line. Um, that we understand that we're running a race and that we are going for the finish line. Um, like I said, we're going to walk through Mark, and I kind of wanted to give you a little background on the gospel of Mark. It's one of the four gospels, right? Starts the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, there's four of them. They're the story of Jesus um, and his life and his ministry and his teachings. Um, Mark um, is the shortest of the four, um, and it was also considered, it's considered the first one of the four written. Um, most scholars will kind of label that in anywhere from 66 to 70 A.D. Um, some scholars will go all the way back to 50 A.D., but pretty much within 50 to 70 A.D. is going to where you're going to find that most people agree that Mark was written, and it was the earliest of the Gospels written. Um, we know that Mark was a companion of Peter. Um, in Acts, Mark is mentioned to being with Peter, um, so he's there. Um, I guess that would be fair to say that a lot of his stories um, that he got from Peter, um, that he was there um, with that. Um, so we know that. Um, here's the thing also about it. It's being the shortest, um, but I, it's also probably the most simple um, of the Gospels. Um, that it really emphasizes and focuses on Jesus and what he does. Um, there's some teaching in there, but for the most part, Mark focuses on what Jesus does um, in his actions. Um, so this summer, we're going to walk through that. Um, hopefully you join us on the reading plan, on the bookmark that was on your seat. And that this summer, we just walk through Mark, um, that we kind of race through that. And hopefully at the end of this, we can all look back and say, holy moly, man, we were all facing and going after that finish line. So we're going to jump right in and we're going to start, start naturally in chapter one of Mark, because that sounds like a good place to start. Um, and we're going to pick up in verse 14. But before we get there, I'm going to give you a little bit of a previously on, since we've missed, kind of skipped over the first 13 verses, is there's a guy named John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist um, is actually Jesus' cousin, um, and he's in the wilderness, and he is preaching. Um, he's telling everybody, hey, the Messiah is coming. Um, he's fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy that said that a voice from the wilderness would call out before the Messiah, and that's John the Baptist. And he's calling out and saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. Jesus comes, um, and he's actually baptized by John the Baptist, which is pretty neat. Um, he's baptized, and after that, Jesus goes off for 40 days in the desert to be tempted by Satan. Um, and then John the Baptist actually gets arrested in that time. And we're going to pick up um, in verse 14. Um, and Mark says this, Now after John, this is John the Baptist, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. I'm just going to stop right there for a second. Make sure you catch the word time right there. Um, we're going to come back and focus on that a lot today. Um, so the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, follow me and I, will, I will, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And on going a little farther, he saw James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Um, so we catch up on this, and that's kind of where Jesus is at. And, and I pointed out that word time. Um, and the Greek word there is kairos. Um, Mark uses the Greek word kairos throughout his gospel. It, it pops up a lot. And kairos means this, defining moment or decisive moment. Um, it's a big deal um, is, is pretty much what he's saying. So like decisive, um, I'm a big Braves fan. Um, and if you're a Braves fan, we have gone through the past couple of years has been pretty rough. Um, we've lost a lot, um, and, and, and not really in a close way. And we've lost a lot. Um, and this year, we're finally starting to win some. Um, and we're winning exciting games. And you'll hear the announcers or some recaps of it, and they'll talk about, man, that was the decisive moment. That was the decisive run. That was the decisive play of the game. And what they're saying is that play caused the Braves to win. That everything kind of like hinged to that moment. And because that happened, they won. And so when, when Mark says this and he says, hey, the time has come, he's saying the defining moment has come. And I would argue that this is the most defining moment of the history that God, the creator, is now part of his creation. That he has took on human flesh and he has come and he's saying, hey, I am here and my kingdom is arrived. It is the defining moment in the history of the world. Jesus is here, God in flesh. And he's saying, man, the time has come, the defining moment, the decisive moment, the kairos. And he says that, and then right after that, we see Jesus call, um, which says Simon, which is actually which Peter. Jesus changes his name later in the Gospels. So Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he calls them, and he says, come follow me, and they follow them. And, and what I would argue is a pretty big Kairos moment of their life. A defining moment of their life. They were fishermen. They, uh, we know that James and John were with their dad Zebedee. Um, we know a little bit later in Mark that Peter was married um, because Jesus goes and heals his mother-in-law. Um, so we know that that's because Jesus, Peter's married. So they have their life structured, and Jesus looks at them and says, hey, y'all come follow me, and they're in a decisive moment of their life. We either stay with what we're doing or we go follow Jesus, that defining moment, and they step in to that kairos. They step into it, and they say Yes. I hope this, um, as we walk through this morning, um, that there's some people in here that will say, hey, a defining moment, a decisive moment, a kairos of my life was this morning. And we're going to walk through that. And, and I believe there's three different points that we can pull out of this that help us understand that Peter and Andrew and James and John had a kairos and what went in to that defining and decisive moment of their life. And the hopes of this is that we can learn from that and then walk into a kairos in our own life. So let's jump into that. And the first one is this, is that it's time for action. Time for action. If we're going to step into our kairos, if we're going to step into a decisive moment, it's time for action. Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus's call is never met with no action. When Jesus calls us, there's always an expectation for us to react. 
When he asks us to do something, he gives us a chance to make the first step. And that's the best thing about God and Jesus, is that he allows us to play a part in his kingdom, he allows us a part to be there, and he allows us to have a step of action. So when we look at a defining moment, we have to understand that it is time for action, that we have to start, that we have to take a step. And if we go back and, and kind of play a little more on the illustration of running a race, if all, the, if all the racers are lined up and the starting pistol gets shot, then what do all the racers do? They react. Now, I've, I've never been to a race where the, the starting pistol was shot and then the racer just kind of stood up and stood there and said, what do I do now? They all know as soon as that gun shot, they run, they react. So if we use that to illustrate Jesus, when Jesus calls, when Jesus is that pistol that is shot, it is our responsibility to react. That when he calls, it is expected for us to respond. And that can look, a lot, that can look different in a lot of our lives. For some of us, it's just that decisive call of, of following him for the first time of hearing his gospel and responding to it, that he is, that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God's flesh, and that he came and he lived and he died on the cross, and then he defeated death to save us, that he's the giver of grace, and we respond by accepting him. That is, that is our decisive moment. That's part of our kairos is accepting him. For some of us, it's maybe we got this sin that is just wearing down on us, that every single day we deal with. And I mean, it just beats us up, but we've never made steps in our life to like battle that. We've never said, hey, I want to put some people in my life to speak into that. I want to put some safeguards in my life so I don't do that, or I want to be held accountable, or I want to do this. We never have taken steps to defeat that sin. So maybe the, the Kairos moment is saying, hey, man, I've got this and it beats me up every single day and I'm going to start doing something about it. I'm going to start acting upon it and making steps and having people in my life to speak into that. For some of us, maybe God has put a dream in your life and he has and he and put a dream that you know and that he has called you to, and, but it, man, you have sitting there going, man, I, I don't know. And it's clear that God has called you to something, but you won't take that first step to step into his preferred future and step into that dream that he's given you. And if we want to have a decisive moment, a defining moment, a kairos, then we have to understand the first part of this is understanding that it's time for action. That Jesus' call is met with an expectation to move. That it is our responsibility to take a step when he calls, and we see that with Peter and Simon and James or um, and, and John and um, oh, I lost my place here. Yeah, there we go. So cool. There we go. James and there John. So when they there we go. Confusing there when they use two gems. But we understand what they see that when they step into it, they step into it. They make the decision to leave. And they, may, they step and they understand that it's time to action. And the first thing we see from their kairos is that it's time for action. The second thing that we see is it's time for a new outlook. Time for a new outlook. See, they were fishermen. And we know with James and John that their dad was a fisherman. And my guess is that Peter and Andrew's dad was a fisherman. And their, their grandfathers were fishermen, that that was the family trade. That as little boys, they grew up being around the boat. They grew, around, grew up being around the net. They understood the trade. They understood the market. That they were fishermen. That's who they were. It was in their blood to be 
fishermen. They've always grown up. They knew that that's what they were going to do, that that was the family business, that they were going to be fishermen. And then to John, one of my favorite, not one of, my favorite moment in the Gospels happened. It's kind of in between where Jesus dies on the cross in Acts chapter 2. Um, and, and we know the end of the story, so we kind of miss some different things at the end of John because we know the end of the story. We know that, that they eventually understand, and, they st- and Peter and the rest of the disciples start the church, and we kind of know the story. So we can kind of miss some of the things at the end of John. But if you kind of put yourself in the disciples' shoes at that moment, Jesus has died, and he's randomly appearing to them, and they're, kind of, they're, they're in this, this waiting area, but they're not sure what's going on. They've given three years of their life to follow this man. He was brutally killed. They're wondering if they're next. They don't know what to do. And it's just a huge time of confusion. And at the end of John, we see Peter say, hey, guys, let's just do this. Let's just go back to fishing. Let's just go back to fishing. And that's what they do. They go back on their boats. Why? Because that was who they were. That's that's what they identified themselves as. We were fishermen, and we do this all the time in life. When stuff happens, it's tough or it's rough or we get confused or scared. We take a big step back and go back to what comforts us, what we know. We we take it back and go, hey, listen, this is who I am and this is a safe place. And we see that they do that because in their minds, their outlook on their life is that they're a fisherman. And I understand this well because here's the thing. I introduced myself earlier as Pedro. But if I went around the room and I asked you what my name was, all of you or most of you would say Pedro. Um, but here's the thing. My name actually isn't Pedro. Um, Pedro doesn't appear in my name at all. Um, I don't have any family members that's Pedro. My name is actually Michael Wesley Sims. It's nice to meet you all. But my name is not Pedro. However, um, my outlook on my life is Pedro. My dad, um, thinking he was funny um, from birth, just started calling me Pedro. Um, And it just kind of stuck. So I can be at their house, and we can be at the dinner table, and my mom can say, hey, Michael, and my dad can say, hey, Pedro, and I just answer to both because that's who I am. But if if I'm out in public, if I'm introducing myself to you, then I say my name is Pedro. It's my email all my social media is Pedro. All my friends call me Pedro. Um, that, that's just, that's who I am. That's, that's the identity that I accept. My, I was Michael, but now I'm Pedro. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you just accept it, but once you say it, it's kind of like, huh, weird. But anyways, so I'm Pedro. I'm Pedro. That's, that's who I am. And we see this at the very beginning. Because they are fishermen. That's who they are. And Jesus does a little play on words. And he looks at them and says, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. What's Jesus looking at him saying, listen, I understand that you identify and that you think you're a fisherman. That that's who you are, that's what you were raised to be, that's what your family's done, that that's who you are, that that is your outlook, that you're a fisherman. But that's not your outlook. 
you are going to be a fisherman of men. You're going to be my disciple, and then you're going to be a disciple maker. This is exactly where our vision or mission of the vine comes from, our mission of making disciples, making disciples. It is rooted right here where at the very beginning, Jesus looks at them and says, listen, I know that you identify and your outlook on your life is fishermen, and I understand that, but that is not what you are. You're going to be a fisherman of men. You're going to be my disciple, and you're going to be a disciple maker. That is your outlook. So when we start stepping into our kairos, when we start stepping into decisive moments in our life, we realize, one, it's time for action, but second, it's time for a new outlook. It's time for us to realize where our identity is rooted. Our identity is rooted that we are sons and daughters of the true king, that we are disciple makers. We are his disciple. That is what we are. And we might do other things. We might think we're something else, but that is not our identity. Our identity is that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ and we are called to make other disciples. That is our outlook. That is our identity. And when we start understanding of stepping in defining moments, we start stepping in understanding that Jesus gives us a new outlook. The third thing he gives us is that he gives us that time is imperative. So time for act, time for an action, time for a new outlook, and time is imperative. When I was going over this this week, I got to this point and it felt kind of awkward. Because earlier in, in, in talking, I laid out that that the Gospel of Mark was written almost 2,000 years ago. And then my third point is, well, time is imperative, and, and that's a 2,000-year stretch. And, and that might seem, well, time really isn't imperative if there's been a 2,000-year stretch. But then I would argue that that 2,000 years really proves how imperative time is because we see that four men were called to be disciples of Jesus for uh, over 2,000 years ago. And from those four men... And from the other disciples that get called, over 2 billion Christians. And the greatest movement this world has ever seen has happened. Because Christians and believers and disciples understand that time is imperative. That when Jesus announces, hey, my kingdom has come, it is here, and time is imperative. It is imperative, and, and we, we, ride, we read and we see that James and John are with their father. They're with Zebedee, and, and they're there, and they're with them, and they understand that time is imperative, that they've got to go. That they've got to look at their dad and say, hey, dad, see you later. I've got to go. Jesus has called me, and I'm immediately going to go follow him. Mark, Mark in his gospel, one of the unique things about his gospel is he uses the word immediately more than any other gospel. And he's saying, look, James and John immediately left their father. It was time to go because time was imperative. It kind of reminds us of another story in the Gospels. A guy comes up to Jesus and, and he wants to go follow Jesus. He wants to be his disciple. And Jesus says, okay, you can follow me. And then he looks at Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, if you mind, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, I've actually got to go back home and I've got to bury my father. But as soon as I get done, I'm going to come follow you. And Jesus kind of lays out, he says, listen, man, you're either following me or you're going to go bury your father. And the guy chooses to go bury his father and he doesn't follow Jesus. And, and if we kind of read that on surface level, it kind of looks at Jesus and it's like, man, Jesus was kind of heartless. Like, man, he had to go bury his father. But what that really means, if we understand the text, is what the guy is saying is his father's not dead. His father's alive. 
And what he's saying is that Jesus is, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I want to go home, and I want to make sure I get everything in order. I want to get everything tidied up. I want to make sure my dad, my family's good. I want to make sure my inheritance is good. I want to make sure my kids are good. I want to set everything up and make it beautiful and make it tidy, and then I'll come follow you. But I can't do that until I get everything squared away. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. Jesus calls us to something. He lays something on our hearts, but we look at it and say, Jesus, man, I've got to get some stuff ready before I walk into that defining moment. Before I walk into that kairos, I need to make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Or I need to make sure my family's ready. Or I need to make sure that we're financially ready. I got, I got to do all this before I walk into what you've laid on my heart. Before I have a defining, decisive moment in my life, I need to make sure everything's good to go. And that's not how it works. When Jesus asks us to call, he's expecting us to move, and he's expecting us to understand that time is imperative. That time is imperative. And James and John get this. They get it. I mean, they, they look and they, and they look at their dad and they say, hey, man, dad, we'll see you later. We've got to go. Another in scripture, um, I think somebody gets this, but it's kind of a couple years late, is, is James. Not this James, but the brother of Jesus, James. And he writes one of the letters in the New Testament. And he writes in there that we're, we're just a dust. And here's the thing about James, as we know throughout the gospel, throughout the gospels, G, James didn't follow his brother. That he didn't think his brother was who he said he was. It wasn't until the church started that James, and after the death and after the resurrection, that, G, that James became a believer of his own brother. So when he writes that in his letter, I think there's a, there's a deeper meaning behind that. That James is looking and, and he's regretting some moments of, of not stepping into the, some defining moments. That he knows that for three years that there, was, there were defining moments and, and decisive moments of his life and other people's lives that he could have walked into and he chose not to. So when he writes that, I think there's a point of him looking saying, guys, listen, time is imperative and in my own life I missed out and I wasted some years because I didn't get that point. Because I didn't, I didn't listen to Jesus. I didn't act when he told me to act. And I missed out, and we're only a dust, and we've got to get this right. The brother of Jesus, I mean, we've got to get this right. We've got to understand that time is imperative. The kingdom has come, and we need to move. So when we look in the idea of walking into our own kairosis, our own defining moments in our life, decisive moments, Moments, we have to understand that one is time for action. That when God has called you, it never, never is a call made without an expectation for us to move. That when God calls us, he expects us to take a step and to start walking into that. The second is he, he wants us to understand that it's time for a new outlook. As you might think you're something you might, you might have a negative view. You might have a great view of yourself. But God's saying, man, with all, like, from negative to positive, what I'm telling you is it's time for a new outlook. Whoever you think you are, whatever you think you are, whether that's a fisherman or fill in the blanks, what I'm saying is that's not who you are. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ and a disciple maker. That is your outlook. And if we're going to step into defining moments, then we need to understand who you are and who has called you. And then we need to understand that time is imperative. That his kingdom has come and it is time 
for us to move. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. What I love is if you finish reading Mark chapter 1, some pretty cool things happen. They actually go heal Peter's mother-in-law. And I imagine that's got to be some pretty good bonus points for Peter because Peter's about to you know, leave and follow Jesus for three years. At least he can look at his wife and say, hey, your mom was healed, right? So I can go, right? So it's good. So Peter's mother-in-law. What I also love is, is Jesus starts going into the temples and he starts teaching. And Mark writes that, man, it's, it's a teaching of authority. That the people in the temples are looking around going, man, this is something else. This guy's teaching is out of this world. I don't know who he is or where he's from, but holy moly, his teaching is awesome. It's, it's teaching with authority. He's opening their eyes and opening their ears to things they've never heard before. And they're looking at Jesus going, wow. Jesus interacts with a, with a man with leprosy. And it says, and Mark says, man, he, he finds compassion on him. He finds compassion on him and he heals him. Because here's the thing that, that chapter, Mark, chapter 1 of Mark teaches us. When you walk into your kairos, when you walk into defining moments, on the other side is God's kingdom. So when, when Jesus says, when he all the way at the beginning and he says, man, kairos, the defining moment of the man is here. I have came in the flesh. But then he says, because his kingdom is here. And then he lives it out. He says, I am here, and now let me show you what my, my, my kingdom is about. It's about my teachings and my way of life. It is about my healing and my fulfilling prophecies and my compassion. And that is my kingdom. And he looks at, he looks at Peter, and he says, man, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisherman, and man, I'm going to ask you to walk into the defining moment, and when you accept me and you follow me, on the other side is my kingdom, Peter. On the other side is my kingdom. That's what, that's what you're walking into. When he looks at James and John, he says, man, I know you're leaving your father. You're leaving the, the trade of your family, but on the other side of this kairos is my kingdom. My kingdom where there is healing and there is peace and there is true joy and there is compassion and there is acceptance. That is what I'm asking you to walk into. And we look at that. And we look at our lives. I don't know what kairos that you need to walk into. Maybe the defining moment in your life is just saying, hey, man, I, I believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And you know what was on the other side of that divining moment? His kingdom. Maybe it's saying, you know what, man? I, I've got a sin in my life that is keeping me away from living out and being the person that God was created to be. And I'm going to put up some barriers in my life to walk away from that. You know what's on the other side? is God's kingdom. His peace and his joy is on the other side of that. When I was walking through this with Pastor David this week, afterwards we were talking, and he said, hey, man, I don't know if you want to mention this. Um, this is just something that was on my heart while you were talking a couple times, and, and I'm just going to throw that out there, and you can do what you want with it. And he said, man, I really feel like this, that there's somebody that's going to hear you on Sunday that's been called to a life of full-time ministry, that has vocationally been called to serve in the church, and that they haven't stepped into that. 
And, may, and maybe that's you. And here's the thing, what I would tell you is that is a defining moment. And on the other side of that defining moment is the kingdom. Because we see in Mark chapter 1, when he asks us to move, Ask us to take action. Ask us to put a new outlook on. To understand that time is imperative. To have a decisive and defining moment in your life. On the other side is his kingdom. His peace and his joy and his healing and his teaching and his way of life. And his kingdom has come. Mark starts it by saying, Jesus looks at him and says, Kairos. The defining moment of the history of the world. God is here. The creator is now with the creation. And he's asking us to step into our kairos. Our defining moments. Our decisive moments. And understanding when we step into those moments, on the other side is his kingdom. And he's just wanting us to step into those, step into those continue to stepping into this and walking into his preferred future he has for us fullness of eternal promise stirring in your sons and daughters earth revealing heaven's wonder spirit spoke is now unfolding all your children shall behold it dreams awaken in this moment spirit come spirit come pour it out